Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to The Weekly Grill, brought to you by Beef Central and Alenco Animal Health. And welcome back to our podcast series for 2022. Now, few, if any, beef industry leaders would have uh, suffered as many headaches over the past few months as Beef Central's first podcast guest for this year. Of course, the problem that gave the headache, the pandemic. And our first guest in this COVID year is Patrick Hutchinson. He's the CEO of the Australian Meat Industry Council. Patrick, welcome. You're on the grill with Beef Central. Thanks very much, Gary. Lovely to be here. Now, let's start with a brief word picture of your up and down topsy-turvy world from, say, uh, November up until now. Yes, well, you're absolutely right. It has been an up and down world uh, for processing during that time. Uh, and also our other uh, obvious members um, outside of the beef world and sheep processing and pork processing and smallwoods manufacturing and, of course, our uh, our wholesale and general industry division and our wonderful over 1,500 butcher shops that we also represent. It has been very, very interesting, that whole supply chain that we look after and Certainly from a processing perspective, um, we uh, ended the year uh, staring down the barrel still of uh, a low um, uh, low capacity workforce. Um, uh, we still probably had uh, about 20%, um, oh, sorry, 80% of our members uh, working at about 75% or less capacity. Um, we needed to just get through to the end. Um, we had impacts from uh, COVID in Victoria by the Victorian government on chick processing, and uh, we got there with with healthy meat sales on the domestic level, but still exceptionally struggling on a uh, export level, especially around those issues in relation to a choked um, logistics chain. We, we've had sort of uh, staff problems in the industry for a long time. So was this expected, or was there any sort of warning, or did you think this could happen? Look, uh, you know, we've been we've been saying that we've had labour issues now for two years, um, uh, and it was before that, but certainly over two years. Certainly, we did not foresee basically January three, uh, when I was sitting back enjoying breakfast in Noosa, that uh, I, my phone would start going off the off the reservation, and calls and calls and calls from many processors on the eastern seaboard, especially in Victoria and New South Wales, saying. Uh, we've now been, uh, we're going to open tomorrow, but basically we can't because people are isolating because their co-workers are, in fact, um, uh, COVID positive. And so we've got a real big, uh, we've got a big issue here. What we didn't expect was it was uh, more and more and more and more till a point uh, that we got to, which was uh, basically a number of abattoirs on January 4 couldn't open. Um, and then that just rolled on and rolled on uh, uh, for the foreseeable future. So that's why we went on the with the front foot and did all of the uh, advocacy from January on January four and onwards about changing isolation rules, which did occur ten days later. Now the problem the problems were essentially in the meatworks, weren't they? But they bounced both ways in the supply chain, both through to the retail level and back to the suppliers. Yes, absolutely. And so what we saw was choke points either end. We even saw transporters of cattle uh, who were who were unable to uh, pick up cattle. We also saw transporters, cold logistics transporters of box beef, unable to transport that. On a domestic level, we saw distribution centres go down, so they were unable to then take meat, 
store cut, and uh, then obviously then send on to supermarkets. What was uh, quite interesting through that process, and and uh, I think is now sort of finished now, but certainly what we saw was quite interesting was butchers held strong and kept going and had uh, ample amount of product. And what we put that down to is that the models of these supply chains are vastly different. A butcher can shop around, go to a number of different wholesalers, get a uh, you know, get a, get a full consignment for a day or a few days to um, uh, to value add and, and then obviously sell. Whereas for the supermarket chains, their distribution centre model meant that if a distribution centre uh, was only able to put out a certain amount of meat, um, then in fact they would uh, find themselves uh, only able to sell a certain amount of meat. They couldn't go elsewhere and buy it, uh, certainly in volume. So butchers certainly uh, came to the fore during this time. They certainly did, and it was very much noticed that the uh, big two, Woolies and Coles, the shelves were virtually empty, yet there was plenty of meat in the in the individual and free freelance butchers. Much definitely, and I think that's been very clear for us because what they do is, is that one is that it's their, it's their livelihood, it's their business, so they've got all the connections to be able to do this. But I think secondly, it's also a scenario for us that we've found that um, uh, you know, really it was quite interesting that uh, moving forward that we've got to see that the butcher is the window to uh, uh, of rural Australia, to metropolitan Australia, and it's the last one. So, uh, you know, I think that it's quite fantastic, really, that what we're seeing is is that people are still engaging with butchers, are still buying product. Um, You can't go past the fact that in a supermarket there's that ease uh, ease of purchase. You can do everything in one go and come out. But I think that everybody, all the listeners uh, of this podcast would realise that um, uh, clearly every time you go into a shopping mall and there is a supermarket there, Normally, the first shop outside that supermarket or the second shop along uh, is a butcher shop. And that is because people do engage with a butcher and look to try and get information on how to cook products, manage products, store products, uh, as well as a greater range. And that's, what's, and that's what continues to happen. And that's why it still represents uh, you know, 20% of the total purchase of meat in this country. It's a long time since I've seen a butcher in a supermarket, I can tell you. But what I did notice over the last few months, the butcher shops were crowded and people were in there who possibly had never been into a butcher shop before. Do you think there's any chance that the butcher habit might stay on? Look, it, it, it's, it's difficult to forecast at the moment. Um, what we did see uh, in uh, this time two years ago when we had our first lockdown, when the whole country went into lockdown, and you know it was very difficult for us to figure out you know, really, I think, for the whole community, what was going on. I certainly was quite interested that uh, our butchers actually went through the roof. And so they went as high, they saw a 33% increase in sales um, of meat through butcher shops in an eight-week period. So, you know, they, and again, it's based around the fact that they don't have to um, hold back product. They don't ration product uh, sales and simply because they are able to continue to keep finding product. And also, you know, that, you, know you can buy a kilo of sausages, whereas uh, in a supermarket, it's, it's in a tray and you're buying 10. So I think that that's where there's that level of engagement. But more importantly, Kerry, I think it's also that your independent retail butcher shop, the person behind the counter um, is also exceptionally knowledgeable on the product that they're selling. And I think in a lot of circumstances, even with millennials and Gen Z, Gen, uh, Gen Y, all of that cohort, whilst 
you know, people are worried about them turning to veganism, flexitarian, or whatever else. That really isn't happening. But what is happening is is that they're wanting more artisan, bespoke products, and the butcher provides that. So that's why um, you're also seeing in uh, certainly in sort of a, a 5K radius of any CBD to a 10K radius of any CBD, um, a great range of artisan butcher shops in each capital city, and that's scaling at a grow. Absolutely. I've been going to butcher shops for years, like most country people, and I can tell you the butcher shops in recent times have lifted their game considerably. Some of the butcher shops that are around, in and around, uh, the, as you say, the 5 or 10K from the CBD in Brisbane, are just superb pieces of uh, retailing of uh, the red meat industry. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that what's uh, what's very clear, as we said, you know, we run a huge amount of competitions as ANIC across the country every year for independent retail butchers, and um, that's you know not just based on 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 snags, on sausages, but also on burgers. Uh, you know, those value added areas that uh, keep people coming back to butchers time after time. We also got to remember that um, uh, butchers are the really the only uh, cohort of meat sales in this country of magnitude that are selling branded product. Uh, Coles and Woolies have their own brands, but you can see Cape Grim and you can see many other processes um, that have their own brands or multiple brands that are doing it. Even in Brisbane, you're seeing uh, Stanbrake themselves run their own butcher shop. So I think that, um, that what we're seeing now on that domestic level is that those brands are increasing, uh, brand recognition is increasing, and people are looking for that. And what, the only place they can go to is that uh, independent retail shop. Let's let's get back, Patrick, to the core of uh, the problems that you've been having over recent weeks and even over the last 12 or 18 months or so. Staffing problems for Meatworks, not just recent, are they? And not just because of the pandemic. Does the industry have any long-term plans to address the staffing problems for meatworks around Australia? Yes, uh, we obviously do, and it's going to be an election topic, uh, no doubt. I think that um, uh, what we've been putting forward very clearly, uh, first and foremost, is the fact that our industry uses both a domestic and an international workforce. That's where we get people from. Now, over the last two years, we've not been able to access that international workforce, and that has proven to be exceptionally difficult for us. Um, we've seen many opportunities that the union and others have made in trying to make our utilisation of that international workforce difficult by providing uh, uh, unsubstantiated claims in media around treatment of those sorts of people. Um, and we're seeing it most recently with uh, the Pacific Labor Scheme as well. Uh, and you know, that makes uh, the issue and, and you know, makes it difficult for the government to continue to progress. So our view is very clearly that we need a specific meat processor visa. And that visa would allow us the opportunity to have people here for five years. We, they would be able to go to permanent residency. They would be able to uh, learn English. They would be able to be, become part of the community. And if you've looked at different communities around uh, Australia, from you know, Billawila uh, in Queensland, uh, Young in New South Wales, Pyramid Hill in Victoria, um, uh, Kilcoy, other places like that, um, everywhere that there is a processor, there is a strong multicultural scene in country towns that in a lot of circumstances were struggling and now uh, uh, have been buoyed by more people living there, uh, more opportunities, schools being able to get more funding because there's more students and there's a whole positive outcome that comes with this. We don't turn our back on the domestic workforce. That's what we want first and foremost and simply because, you know, you know let's, let's be honest, they are in fact cheaper. 
we, you know, we have to pay tax on every single solitary uh, visa worker that we provide. We put that into a Skilling Australia fund, yet we don't even get access to that Skilling Australia fund to put new domestic workforce people in. So we have a pretty strong case to, to go forward with. That's, a, that's the obvious question, Patrick. Why aren't we training local people to do these jobs? Or why aren't we training well, enough local people to, to take these jobs? You know, it's, it's engagement at that local level that's provided, as it's proving less difficult for us, Kerry. Uh, um, engagement of young people, school leaders, uh, unskilled, semi-skilled people, and we're doing everything we can. We're working with the federal government, with the Department of uh, uh, Education, Services and Employment, um, in order to, uh, you know, uh, get into those uh, medium-term unemployed to give them jobs, to provide them that on-the-job training. You know, people could be walking in and starting at a, at a $55,000, $60,000-a-year job in a processing facility, uh, and there's there's great scope to learn. But also what we've got to do, and we're doing quite well, is lead, uh, um, working with the universities on the new structure of meat processing, meat processing, uh, um, you know, small manufacturing, wholesaling, and also, as we talked about with that, um, uh, with independent retail butchers, et cetera, all of those skills we're working on with state and federal governments at TAFEs, um, but also universities about key things like the Internet of Things, automation, robotics, um, gamification, uh, uh, virtual reality management in, in, um, in facilities. There's a huge cohort of stuff that we're doing, not only that, engineering, um, and uh, as we know, which is going to be topical, if not the most topical issue coming up in this election, and that's obviously sustainability and environment, um, and that's going to be also a big issue for us as well. So we're, we're engaging across the board with all that, and I think that um, we are getting the job done as best as we can. Let's take a short break. We'll hear now from our chief sponsor, Elenco Animal Health. Don't let your cattle suffer the setbacks caused by buffalo fly. Combat buffalo fly with Corral, Patriot and Silence insecticidal ear tags. Providing up to four months of long-lasting fly control. Alanco has you covered with a range of ear tags to suit your rotation program. Contact Alanco and find out how you can win the buffalo fly battle now. Back now to our podcast series on Beef Central, and we're on the grill with Patrick Hutchinson. He's the CEO of the Australian Meat Industry Council. I want to talk about robotics in a moment, but let's stay with Meatworks for a minute on the question of Meatworks losing money and how long can they keep doing it. Why would you open up a business on Monday knowing you will lose money? The more you kill, the more you lose if you kill, which is not unknown in Australia, say a thousand a day, five thousand a week, your losses are estimated at between one and a half and one and three quarter million dollars. Why would you keep opening the door? Well, there's a there's a lot to that, and I think that that's uh, in a lot of circumstances manufacturing overall in Australia. I it's clearly um, what we've seen is is that we've just had a perfect storm certainly over the past two years. A uh, large reduction in supply, uh, a huge increase in the raw material being livestock that we, 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 we purchase. We have the world's most expensive meat processing workforce, and that's an independently verified, uh, in, and, and that's, that data is only three years old, where our workforce it costs a double that of uh, or the, the U of Brazil, our major competitor. 
uh, and at least 40% higher than that of the US, our, our other big competitor. So um, it, it's, it's all of those things together then with uh, a lowering of capacity um, and, and throughput. So, and, and, and sorry, on top of that, obviously, the logistical challenges that we've had, certainly over the last six months to nine months where, you know, we, containers uh, on the brewery index, as it's called, which was sitting at $2,000 a container two years ago and now $10,000. Yes, it's a so, I know, all I know, those, There are a lot of headwinds, Patrick, I know, but it just, it just seems an enormous amount of money for Meatworks to be losing week in and week out. It'll be, it'll be very interesting to watch a lot of these smaller plants in the, in the coming 12 months, I suspect. Look, we've got to move on. We're just uh, catching up with a bit of time here. China, yet another plant has lost its licence in the last couple of weeks. Are there any plans for the industry and government to work together to fix this imbroglio with China about our exports? We always work with our federal government, both from our, uh, in our export standards area via the Department of Agriculture and also through the Department of Trade around uh, you know, increasing that relationship with China. I think we've probably got to remember that we're still exporting uh, a large amount of beef to China. Yes, certainly not what it was in 2019 and certainly not what it's been with the uh, temporary suspensions applied to these different plants. So I think that um, uh, what we've all even seen is that mutton and lamb have actually increased in volume and value to China over the past 12 months in 2021 as opposed to 2020. So yeah, there, there are the structures are all there. The unfortunate scenario is, is that you know, China has its own uh, set of standards that it upholds, and if it feels that those standards are being um, uh, contravened in any way, then they'll, they take action, whether that be on labelling, COVID, or residues. And uh, yeah, the scenario for us is, is pretty simple, and that is is that all we're really looking for is the dialogue between uh, government bureaucrat to government bureaucrat uh, is is more open and more free, so that information flow can increase on issues, and that we can have that two-way uh, discussion. Currently, at the moment, Patrick, we don't have that. Patrick, do you seriously believe that that's the reason they're being closed because of some serious concern about rules and regulations being bent or broken? Well, that's all we get, and unfortunately for trade, normally we're you know always we're the collateral damage in uh, the, uh, you know, the the diminishment of yeah. any relationship we have. Let's not forget, you know, it's only twenty years ago um, that our number one partner in the world, the US, uh, wanted to put a ban or an, an extreme tariff on Australian lamb imports. Yes, I uh, we've not- seen issues. We've seen issues in Japan. We've seen issues in Korea. We've uh, we've seen issues all over the world for all different reasons. And it's just unfortunate this time that uh, the the scenario with China is they're still still taking product. They're still a strong customer and they're still a friend. But unfortunately, trade. But unfortunately, other peripheral issues are having that impact on us. So it's not a political scenario for us in that way. The problem is is that our dialogue uh, between G to G has obviously disintegrated and with that comes an understanding of changes of rules and regs and, and a whole host of things. Now, look, a uh, couple of quickies. R- robotics in processing, we're going to have a lot more of that on our future podcast, but, and there's a bit of a shroud of secrecy around what's been going on in certain plants, but there's lots of talk. What, what, what is going on in the world of processing in terms of robotics and automatic processing? 
Yeah, I think any one of your listeners who were at B, B31 last year would have seen our AMPC uh, site. Uh, it was very, very well uh, patroned by a huge amount of different people uh, on issues that we've got there. So we're working on things about protecting workers in, in investments in things like exoskeletons uh, that makes you know the, uh, the, the the continual work of lifting and uh, putting down of, of, of boxes and other products uh, a bit more easy for those people to do. Uh, we're looking at areas of, of things like what they call gamification um, and uh, also virtual reality inputs that allows people to actually learn uh, more expediently about management of, uh, of carcasses and um, uh, of, of boning and slicing and, and things like that. Um, we've also seen the input of, of actual robotics um, and those robotics, not like you could think uh, if you were watching a movie where you saw a robot being able to dismember a carcass and that's it. You know, the, the human interaction has to be there for a great number of reasons, which also includes the fact that, um, you know, there's specific specifications that only, you know, really the human eye can uh, can, can manage at the moment. That includes things like grading and, and, and what have you. But I think overall what we're seeing in our investment there is, is a wholesale investment in making workers are going to be better protected. Uh, they're going to make their jobs easier that we're able to manage, you know, specific issues like labelling and, uh, uh, and grading more effectively and efficiently, uh, which then makes processing you know, far more effective and, and somewhat safer. So they're the key areas that we're certainly working on in, those, uh, uh, in that automation area. Now, moving on, Patrick, the final question, uh, the topic that uh, continues to give and give, zero emissions for the economy by 2050, no doubt ag will carry much of the weight of achieving that. What's happening among the AMIC fraternity? What are the plans to achieve zero emissions by 2015? Yeah, we are undertaking a great deal of work there. Obviously, we're supportive and linked into CN30 under MLA. Um, our members, uh, when we look at it from a supply chain carbon scenario, uh, are actually pretty low emissions. So that being said, what our guys have been looking at is how do we actually utilise new technology and new opportunities to be able to effectively um, make efficiencies whilst also making on-ground efficiencies for the plant and then making further efficiencies in carbon abatement, uh, as an example, let alone uh, saving you know, utilisation of water um, and heat trapping within facilities and, and all of those sorts of things that go with not just carbon but the whole... Uh, area of sustainability. So you know, we've got some plants that are creating their own in, uh, their own power through biogas trapping and, and other other products. Um, you know, I know one processor in Queensland that could be you know, net zero by next year is creating their own electricity and is closing the circle in regards to how they manage products. So I think that um, moving forward with carbon, the key thing for us is making sure not only that we're able to manage it on site ourselves. But what support do we need to provide to farmers? So, you know, no longer in this country is there a processor versus producer attitude anymore, especially with prices. But not just that, uh, it, it's, it's been gone for a fair while, no matter what politicians want to tell you. And with that, we're going to be making sure how do we help farmers? How do we manage the outcomes that they're looking for as well? And then how do we in turn promote through the product that we sell? Because let's not forget, farmers don't sell beef, we do. So they sell cattle. So in the whole process of that, 
how do we effectively start to sell their credentials? Is it through branding? Is it through information? Is it through a whole host of other things in that area? And continually, that's what we're also looking to try and achieve as well. And we do that with strong supply chains, good relationships with farmers, and working with our RDCs like the Australian Meat Processing Corporation, but also MLA. Just another part of the series of tough gigs for you this year, Patrick. Well, thank you very much for um, appearing with us on, on, on the grill. It's great to have you on. Thanks very much, Gary. I have a bit more positive uh, news the next time we talk. Absolutely. Thank you. And thank you for joining me today. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan, and this is The Weekly Grill, brought to you by Beef Central and our podcast partner, Elenco Animal Health. <laughs>